podcast is copyrighted by the NFL for the private use of our audience. Any other use of this podcast or any pictures, descriptions, or accounts of the game without the NFL's consent is prohibited. To the history of your favorite NFL franchise from the Lingus Mafia podcast. I'm Cad Manning. This is where I'll give you the history of each NFL team in existence. Every team will have their own episode to shine, from winning it all to having fans wear paper bags over their head because they're embarrassed of their team. From teams that ruled a decade to teams that didn't have enough fans to air on TV in their local markets. Each episode, I'll tell you how the team came to be, how many championships they have, if any how many retired numbers, and little facts you might not know about each team. So let's get on with the show. This episode, the Chicago Bears. to recapping a 100-year history of a team, it's near impossible to list all that happened. From the glory days of the 30s and 40s to the mid-80s with a dominating defense. The Cowboys were shut out for the first time in 15 years. It was the worst loss in franchise history. And back to throw. against our defense. Nothing. You know, I had to tell Buddy call off the dogs, but they have a right to have fun. And Buddy just tell, hey, you know, you, I run the defense, get out of here. To drafts that they could never find a quarterback other than Sid Luckman or Jim McMahon. Right now you're hoping Chicago. Yeah, Chicago would be nice right now. Chicago Bears. First round selection. Riggs. Jim McMahon. For those of you who haven't been longtime suffering Bears fans, try Cade McNown or Rex Grossman. With the uh, 22nd selection in the 2003 NFL Draft, the Chicago Bears select Rex Grossman, quarterback, University of Florida. Well, however, he did go to a Super Bowl with them. And then we can't forget the latest number two overall pick, Mitch Trubisky. With the second pick. In the 2017 NFL Draft, the Chicago Bears select Mitchell Trubisky, quarterback, North Carolina. Things just got interesting. When I spent time with Trubisky, there's a lot to like, but his deep ball accuracy has got to improve. There's just too many shots downfield where the ball is off the field of play, and it's not catchable. 
Got to correct this. He's got to improve his deep ball accuracy. And in Chicago, that'll be something to keep an eye on. Some of the complex blitzes that Stanford gave him caused problems. He's an inexperienced one-year starter. He's going to take a little bit of time. Dowell Loggins, the offensive coordinator, has time to nurture him because of the veteran presence of Mike Glennon. But clearly, they're tired of Jay Cutler. They like to say the jury is still out on him, but I think we've seen enough. I hope this ends up on the Instagram freezing cold takes when I say he just doesn't have it. Empty set for Trubisky. With time, downfield, wants Robinson. Instead, it is intercepted by Shaquille. For the moment here, bottom line is they're going to snap. Play action, batted, and intercepted again by Shaquille Griffin. So let's give you a little history when it comes to the Chicago Bears. Formerly known as the Decatur Staley's, originally founded in 1920 by the E.A. Staley Food Starch Company. Yes, the Chicago Bears were named after a fucking food starch company based in Decatur, Illinois. George Hallis, out of Illinois University, was called to come work for the starch company and run the Staley's. Full control was given to Hallis a year later. Hallis comes to an agreement to buy the rights to the team for 100 bucks and moves them to Chicago, but has to keep the name for one more year. Sounds like a good investment since the Bears are now valued at $3.45 billion. It's what it all comes down to, and what it all comes down to is this. Money isn't everything, it's the only thing, and everyone, everyone has a price. Hallis renames the Staley's the Chicago Bears. He names them after the baseball team in town, the Chicago Cubs. It's fair game for the fans to catch the ball. If the fan reaches out over the field, then it can be ruled fan interference. That is very, very close. He felt that football was a man's game, where baseball were the boys of summer. So what would a cub be when they grow up? A bear. So how did the bears get the colors to be as you know them today? Well, it goes back to George Hallis' college days from the University of Illinois, Although slightly darker navy blue and a more burnt orange. Originally all teams just wore dark colors due to them playing many back-to-back -back games to hide the dirt in the mud. In the 1940s, they get an emblem on the side of their helmet, the Wishbone Sea, stolen from the University of Chicago. Not only did they take their logo, they took their nickname. The name The Monsters of the Midway was originally the University of Chicago. They're the monsters of the Midway, rolling across the USA. They're the monsters of the Midway, the monsters have come to play. After the Bears would beat the Redskins in the championship game of 1940, they would get a fight song that they use today, where they say, We'll never forget the way you thrilled the nation with your T-Formation. The T-Formation was created by George Hallis. 
When looking at it now, it's like, what's the big deal? But at the time, it had never been done. The T formation sets up like this. Your normal line, a center, two guards, two tackles, a tight end on each side, a QB under center. A step or two behind the QB, you have a fullback, and to the right or left of him, you have a running back on both sides. Before this formation, it was only one running back in the backfield. This baffled people. Can you imagine what Bill Walsh would have done to the teams back then? When the Staley's moved to Chicago, they first started playing in the home of the Cubs, Wrigley Field. After the merger with the NFL and AFL by the popularity of football, the league mandates that stadiums must hold at least 50,000 people. Grant Park Municipal Stadium was built in 1924. It was originally built from a winning architectural contest to build something to honor soldiers who had died in wars. One year later, it's named Soldier Field. Hi, I'm Mike Ditka. I know many of you come here today because the Bears play here. But there's a lot more to Soldier Field than football. It's a place dedicated to history's real heroes, the men and women of America's military who gave their lives for our freedom. And it's a place that's made a lot of history itself. Here on this great field, the field dedicated to the American soldier. This broadcast feature which has come to you from Soldier Field in Chicago. Soldier Field in Chicago. Debut is at Soldier Field. Here from Soldier Field in Chicago. The world is literally watching Chicago this afternoon. So I welcome all who have come. They've come to Soldier Field to cheer. It's used for different gatherings and sporting events. Jack Dempsey fought there. Army-Navy games were played there. President Roosevelt would speak there. Even Billy Graham would have an event there. And of all things, this is the birthplace of the Special Olympics. Concerts, festivals, rodeos, and races would all take place there. In 1971, the Bears would move there after nearly 50 years at Wrigley Field. The last game at Wrigley, the Bears beat the Packers. And the first game at Soldier Field, the Bears beat the Steelers. In 2002, the Bears had to play in Champaign, Illinois, the home of the Fighting Illini, as Soldier Field was renovated and the spaceship landed around it. In 2003, they're back home. Okay, now try to follow along with this if you can. The first so-called championship game was the Akron Pros and the Decatur Staley's. The Staley's would have a record of 10-1-2. All 10 wins would be shutouts. The one game they lost would be to the Cardinals, when both teams would score on a fumble return for a touchdown. But the Staley's would miss the extra point. 100 years later, things don't change, apparently. And... Oh, he hits the upright again! That's impossible! 
and the Eagles run out into the field, but there's still five seconds, so they've got to get back. He does it again. Brought back to the spot of a kick. It will be Philadelphia. Did this hit the upright and the crossbar? Bottom line, it doesn't go through upright. It looks like it bounced off the crossbar as well. Oh, my goodness. The Bears' season's going to end on a double doink. <laughs> One. Unbelievable. How many times can they hit the upright? Five. Eight million, ten million, twenty-five million. I don't know how much fucking Cody Parkey's getting fucking paid. But that little fucking cocksucker from South Florida can't make a goddamn fucking kick for his fucking life. I mean, how much fucking money we got to pay this fucking cocksucker? How much fucking opportunity do you fucking need? How many fucking missed kicks is Cody Parkey going to fucking hit this year? Eleven. Eleven. That's how many. Eleven. Fuck you, Cody. Fuck you. Okay, still following. Here's where things get odd. The Akron pros would go 8-0-3. That year, their final game would be the so-called championship game. They play the Staley's, so they knew they didn't have to win. Like Bobby Heenan would say, they have to beat us, you don't have to beat them. All they had to do was play for a tie. And that's exactly what they did. 0-0. Zero, zero. If the Staley's won, there would have been a three-way tie. The Staley's, the Pros, and the Buffalo All-Americans, who went 9-1-1. One, and one. There was no set schedule back then. And that's why you would see the Staley's with 13 games played, the Pros with 11 games played. Just a tad unfair. Most think that if there was a three-way tie, more games would have been played just to settle who was the best. Back in the day, this would have been allowed to happen. Now, earlier I said so-called championship game. Why is that? Well, if you listened to the NFL special before, you'll recall I said the champion was voted on in the offseason. But with the records the way they were, it looked like the champ would be determined by that game. The very lean year of the Bears was from 69 to 82. They had two 9-win seasons that span and one 10-win season. Other than that, the most they had was 7. More on the 4-win tier of that time. This is when they had two of the best players in football history, both drafted in the same draft, Dick Butkus and Gail Sayers. The 1960s were a decade of change for the country and for the Bears. Coming off a championship season in 1963, Chicago needed new stars. In 1965, two players who would define Chicago football came into Papa Bear's fold. From the University of Illinois came linebacker Richard Marvin Butkus. Give me 18 inches of daylight. That's all I need. And from the University of Kansas arrived running back Gail Eugene Saves, the Kansas Comet. And his groundbreaking and game-breaking talent shined like a supernova. Dick Butkus was in a world of his own, the most ferocious defender of his time. One was silky smooth, the other 
a bit rough around the edges. Even Walter Payton was drafted during that time in 75. When the coach was hired, things changed. said walk with me for three years and we'll win a championship he was hired in 1982 they won the championship in 1985 walter payton mike ditka hungry chicago finally champions on this january day in new orleans 46 to 10 the final Along with the invention of the T formation, the Bears were also known for the innovation of the 46 defense. Enter Buddy Ryan in 1978, the defensive coordinator as brilliant as a diamond and just as hard, armed with a secret weapon that came to be called the 46 defense. deal was to attack, 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 and that's the way Buddy had us trained. He didn't soft sell it. You want to win the football game, but you got a chance to eliminate him, eliminate him. You're thinking, I can hit harder. In fact, the last guy hit, he shouldn't have gotten up. It was those type of feelings that Buddy was able to bring to this team. Mark Wilson still down on the curb, has not moved. He didn't try to ever try to hurt anybody, but he wanted you to take players out. If you're not familiar with this formation, Let's go over the formation that is normally used, the 43. That means you have four defensive linemen, three linebackers, two safeties high, two corners. The 34 is three defensive linemen, four linebackers, two safeties, and two corners. Now the 46 comes from the setup, kinda. It was more so coming from Doug Plank who wore the number 46. He was a strong safety that was skilled enough to make this formation work. All right, you ready how this lines up? All right, hang in there. Here we go. So you're going to have four defensive linemen. That's two tackles, two ends. You also have your two corners. Okay, that's all normal. This is where things get different. Your strong side linebacker and your weak side linebacker both line up on the right side, two yards behind your right end. Your middle linebacker would take about two steps to his right, so he was not in the middle. He was more flanked out to where your right side linebacker would be. Now, your strong safety moves down into the box to where your left outside linebacker would be, leaving one free safety high. Jesus fucking Christ, I'm confused. I can't imagine what the fuck the offense was feeling. Buddy Ryan, who was a creator of this defense, was quoted in saying, To stop a passing game, you need to put pressure on it. Some people are good enough to put it on with a three-man rush. We are not. In fact, I don't know if we're good enough to put it on with a four-man rush. If we have to send eight, we'll send eight. But we're not going to let you sit back there and pick us apart. Bill Walsh was quoted saying, I had to use every bit of my knowledge and experience and wisdom I had to come up with a game plan to attack this defense. It's really the most singular innovation we've had in defense in the last 20 years. So how many championships have they had in 100 years? 
1921 and 1932, they were named champions. In 1933, that was the first year there were playoffs in the NFL. The Bears would beat the Giants 23-21 in the championship game, and the next year they would lose to them in the championship game. In 1940, they beat the Redskins 7-3. Oh, I'm sorry, that's 73-0. In 1941, they beat the Giants again 37-9. In 43, they beat the Redskins 41-21. Their year prior, they would have lost to the Redskins 14-6. In 46, they beat the Giants again 24-14. In 63, that was the last time they would win the quote-unquote championship. I guess it was against who? Yep, the New York Giants again, 14 to 10. In 1985, this would be the only Super Bowl, 46 to 10 over the New England Patriots. Nine championships total, lost five title games, lost in 34 to the Giants, lost in 37 to the Skins. Yeah, you heard me. To the Skins again in 42. Lost in 56 to the Giants, and they lost in 2006 in the Super Bowl to the Indianapolis Colts. I've always felt like if it wasn't a Super Bowl, then it's not a championship. My opinion has only slightly changed. Since doing the full 100-year special of the NFL, I have a greater appreciation for championships and not just count Super Bowls, since we only have 54 years of that, and we're coming up on 100 years of NFL history. I don't say this because the Bears have only won one Super Bowl, but as a football fan that appreciates history, it's kind of shitty to disregard all those who built the league. The Bears' Staley's all-time record from 1920 to 2019 is 769 wins, 591 losses, and 42 ties. Win percentage of 563. Worst record all time would be in 1963, where they went 1 and 13. Best record in 1985, where they went 15 and 1. The Chicago Bears hold the record for most Hall of Famers with 30, and 12 retired numbers, which they say will no longer have any more retired numbers. Among those who aren't retired would be people like Mike Singletary, Dan Hampton, Richard Dent, Devin Hester, Brian Erlacher. I guess at some point you have to stop retiring numbers, unless they start using triple digits. Being one of the 14 original teams from 1920, the Chicago Bears have helped pave the way for the current NFL we have today. For the Lingus Mafia Podcast, I'm Kev Manning.